I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. All right, folks, Matt Dixon here, and we've got a cracker for you today. But just before we get going, I want to make a couple of points. The first is that over the last few weeks, we've pushed out what I feel is some really important educational content that I know is going to help a lot of folk. We've got today's show which is part two of our nutrition and health for female athletes. Last week's blog and podcast on how to turn stress into your advantage. And of course, even the guide to helping triathletes with a smart approach to running off the bike. And we do this because we love providing educational content. We want more and more folks to be able to learn and benefit. And you as a loyal listener and follower of Purple Patch, you've got a role to play. You can help. You see, you can give the gift of performance. You can help your team, your family, your friends. And there's a couple of ways. The first is to follow us. Head to your favorite place where you consume this show and follow or subscribe. It's really, really simple. Well, I had to have backs to show me, but it is pretty simple. Subscribe or follow. It's going to make the show much more easy for others to find. And of course, you can always share as well. Feel free to grab a link to the blog on the website or the podcast. Send it across to folks that you feel might benefit. And of course, when you do that, remind them to follow along as well, either via our newsletter or, of course, on the podcast. I promise you, it really, really helps and it empowers our efforts. And I tell you what, I and all of Purple Patch would be really grateful. Now, while I'm at it, we are able to keep providing this content to you free because of our partnership with Inside Tracker. And you've heard me talk a lot about the partnership. Well, it's a timely reminder. The insights, education, personalized recommendations that you receive from working with Inside Tracker is an empowering, science drenched path to you improving your approach to eating, training, positive habit creation. So if you want to amplify your performance, just head to insidetracker.com slash purple patch and use the code Purple Patch Pro 20. That's Purple Patch Pro 2.0. And you get 20% off everything on the store. Now, several folks have gone all in, amplified their pathway by getting a personal consultation with myself or one of the team. And if you want to do that, you can. It's highly recommended and it really amplifies the outcome. But we would much rather you just reach out directly to us for that so that we can ensure that you get with the right person for your situation and needs. That's just info at purplepatchfitness.com. All right, enough for me. Should we get going? Fasten your seatbelts. Guys, this one's a cracker. Let's get on with the show. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. Guys, we are back. It is part two of our discussion on nutrition with a special focus on female athletes and fitness enthusiasts. Joining me once again, Stevie Smith, one of the lead dietitians with our partner Inside Tracker. She is an experienced registered dietitian, board certified in sports nutrition with a demonstrated history of working with individuals, groups, and of course in clinical settings. Her skill, sports nutrition, weight management, and she even does a little bit of writing, public speaking, and a lot of nutritional counseling. 
And then, in addition, on the third stool, Kyla Chanel, the founder of Nutritional Revolution. Kyla is a degree nutritional practitioner. She specialized in elite athletes, fueling for unique sports and the sex differences between the athletes. She is one of the partners of Purple Patch under the big banner of nutrition, and she has worked with countless athletes from all levels, beginner to pro. And today, what we do, the three of us, is continue our conversation. We lead on from part one, that is episode 213. Goodness me, that leaves a lump in my throat when I think about that, 213 episodes. But episode 213, which I should mention, if you miss that episode, I really encourage you to go back Don't skip over it. Go back, have a listen, and then come back and listen to today's episode. Now, in today's show, what will you learn? Well, Stevie and Kyla provide really clear guidance that carves through that blizzard of confusion and misinformation about female athletes, a really important listen. And the episode is going to leave you with a really empowering framework of how you can build an empowering relationship with both your fueling habits and ensuring that you're getting enough of the right calories to support everything that is important for you as a female, not just as an athlete, but as a female. And finally, this whole discussion should inform you about the corrections that allow you to bypass many of the pitfalls that female athletes fall into. We want you to navigate past the quackery, the misinformation, the confusion. It is hard-hitting, it is simple and effective. Now, before we get going, we're not going to do Word of the Week this week. We've got a pretty meaty conversation in our meat and potatoes, pardon the pun. But I do want to crack on with a few things that I've been noticing lately. Remember that part of the show that doesn't have a title? Guess what? It still doesn't have a part of a title. But anyway, we're going to keep going with that. A couple of things that I wanted to highlight this week. The first is, hey, a little bit of a in case you missed it. Because last week we put out two, in my mind, major, major pieces of educational content. And I want to draw your attention to it again. The first was a blog. It's up at purplepatchfitness.com. You just head to the education tab. You will see blog there. And the title of it, quite simply, is How to Turn Stress into an Advantage. Really important piece, not just for athletes. In fact, not really even written for athletes per se. It's written for parents, leaders, employees, people that are looking to leverage the situation of strain and demand that so many of us feel into an advantage so that you can really thrive and perform. Now, the sister piece of content to that was last week's podcast. It's kind of the brother and sister thing, and it was all around that word stress. If you miss those, I really encourage you to go back. Leaders, parents, employees, whatever your load is, ultimately, we all carry our accumulation of stresses. And I believe this is a really important and timely anchor of education. I think it's going to help your perspective. I think it's going to empower you, and it's a biggie. And like I started the show, this is one of those pieces that I would love you to also share with others. Anyone that you think might benefit, your team, your friends, your fellow athletes, because it's a biggie. Send the blog or the link to last week's show. And think about it. It is your gift of sharing that might just help them as we all come together to thrive through these uncertain times. What else is going on? Well, a lot of folks have asked a lot about our training camps, South Carolina and Napa. I am afraid both of those are now at capacity and closed. 
We are full to the brim, and I have to say we care too much about the immersive experience to be able to provide really high-quality education and feedback to each camper, so we can't add any more to those camps. But with the popularity of camps this year, we are looking to add one, if not two, camps later in the year. And the first one is probably going to be in St. George, Utah, September, probably mid-September, and that acts as ideal preparation for both the Ironman World Championships, which are set to be in Hawaii, Kona, back to the old familiar ground on that, and also the Ironman 70.3 World Championships, which will be in St. George in October. So we're looking at a mid-September date there. We're looking to logistics. We should be able to release that camp very, very soon. Now, these are camps, and this camp particularly, I think, is going to go quickly. So if you're interested, let us know. We're going to camp this to under 20 athletes, and I would recommend you email us, info at purplepatchfitness.com, if you're interested. No commitment needed, but what we will do is we will send you a little bit of an insider before we post it and say, hey, this is going to be the camp. You want it? You are the insider. You are first to act so that we can build a little bit of a list and then we'll pop it on the website. My guess, this one's probably going to sell out within 48 hours of it going live. Okay, final thing, a little bit of fun before we get going on this conversation. Recently, I noticed our own Purple Patch athletes having a little bit of a powwow around Dixonisms. Yeah, that's me and my isms. And they started to have a conversation in our internal athlete forum about what are your favorites? Because I guess when they hear me coach a lot live on the video coach sessions, those bike sessions, they get a little accustomed to my style. Now, what I'm trying to do is get across the mission of the workout, how to execute, holding them to account, maybe even provide a little bit of inspiration. Oh, but sometimes I really do despair with the output. Now, these types of sayings, this is not no pain, no gain. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Good job. This is not that. So today I'm going to reveal some of the group's favorites. This might just confuse you. Number one, ladies and gentlemen, here comes the vicar. Mrs. Jenkins, pop the kettle on. It's time for tea. Number two. All right, guys, you're keeping it up. Now it is time. Unleash the governor. Number three. Normally to a boy named Scott, I should point out. Don't worry. This is America. There's always another chance in America. Number four. Strong like bull. Number five. Typically, I go back there with this guy called Henry. But come on, then. Take a break. Let's have a ciggy behind the bike sheds. And, of course, our favourite, Drunken Donkey. Ladies and gentlemen, that really relates to the three-legged donkey. Yes, lower zone three. Now, if you're listening here and you don't understand, don't worry. I don't expect you to. And you won't. You're never going to understand unless... You're on the inside. It's all built around helping you find your own brand of excellence. And so for my team at Purple Patch, keep it up, folks. I'll try and keep it interesting. And finally, a quick one here, a quick reminder that coming up in a couple of weeks' time, we do have another Ask Matt Anything session. And this time we are building all of the questions around running. 
Are you frustrated by a run plateau? Are you frequently injured? Do you label yourself run unable? Let me help. All you have to do is head to the podcast page at the website. Leave me a nice little voicemail there. We will play that and I'll give you my very best answers in an upcoming show. All right. No word of the week this week. Barry, quite frankly, well, he banged his head and he can't remember the words. But I will tell you, it is not serious with a wig. It's serious with a wink. Goodness me, Barry. Anyway, regardless, ladies and gentlemen, I give you part two. Stevie Smith, Kyla Chanel. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time. It is the meat and potatoes. All right, guys, it is the meat and potatoes, and we continue on. Welcome back, Stevie and Kyla. Thanks so much for joining us again for part two around female nutrition and beyond. Lovely to have you back, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, glad to be back. All right, so we are marching on after part one for folks that missed part one of the uh, the show. I highly encourage you to go back. It was a couple of episodes ago, the Purple Catch podcast, and uh, and it was a, a deep dive into nutrition. But we're going to evolve our conversation a little bit today. And I want to launch into an area that is uh, particularly important, I think, for female athletes, oligomenorrhea and amenorrhea, the absence or the infrequent menstrual cycles, very, very common in high training athletes and beyond. And so I guess to, to kick us off in this subject, this area, these symptoms are clearly prevalent in athletes who are also challenged with an eating disorder. And we might, we'll get into that, I'm sure, a little bit. But I guess, Kyla, is it exclusively the absence or, or perhaps skipping cycles, if you want to call it like that, is it exclusively destined for people with just eating disorders or does it go beyond that? Um, definitely not exclusive to people with just eating disorders or dis disordered eating. Um, and I do want to preface too that there is um, kind of break down what oligomenorrhea is and actually different forms of amenorrhea. <clears throat> so oligomenorrhea is defined as kind of having irregular cycles. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe they're, you know, one day it's 40 days in between, and then you might skip a cycle or, and then it's, you know, 18 days. So there's irregularness there. Right. And then we have amenorrhea, but there are a couple forms of amenorrhea. So there's primary amenorrhea and that's defined as actually not starting your very first period. So as a, as a teen, or, you know, you should be starting a cycle typically between the age of maybe 12 to 16 years old. If you're not starting your cycle, that is considered primary amenorrhea. And then we have secondary amenorrhea, which is losing your cycle for somewhere between three or six or greater months, potentially. Um, and the most common form of secondary amenorrhea is probably what we're going to be hitting on today is that functional hypothalamic amenorrhea or FHA is what many people will call it as well. Um, so when we're talking about amenorrhea today, I think that's probably to preface that that's probably what we're diving into is that secondary uh, form for sure. And what are the situations if if we sort of park for the moment disordered eating and, and that whole channel which is obviously a huge stressor mm -hmm. and, and a catalyst for it but it's very very common amongst 
athletes, not yeah. just small team gymnasts. So, so, so what are the contributors? I know it's a, a pretty basic cap, uh, but paint the profile for me. Yeah. So many times we'll see the loss of a menstrual cycle or just irregular cycles in our endurance athletes, really just because there is an energy deficit to some extent. And that could be unintentional, meaning maybe they're in a bigger training block um, and they're just, they're pushing out a ton of calories, right? To hit these um, longer sessions, harder efforts, et cetera, but they're not matching the, the energy intake coming you know, into the body, right? So that can be a situation. Um, we can also see it in individuals who you know, are on an OCP. So maybe they're on an, or an OCP for those listening is oral contraceptive pill, um, hormonal birth control. Um, if you are taking an OCP, some women lose their cycles. Some people will be on an OCP. I've even had clients where they're on an OCP are getting a regular cycle, but similarly to someone maybe not on an OCP gets in a hard training block and then loses their cycle still even while on an OCP. Um, so that could be a potential situation as well. Again, typically the the leading factor into all of this is many times uh, just mismatched energy out with energy coming in or low energy availability. And I think we touched a little bit at the end of the last podcast or, or red S relative energy deficiency in sport. Um, there can be other situations like someone might have PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome that can cause irregular cycles. Uh, you might be going through perimenopause if you're an older athlete and not realize that the, the erraticness in the cycles is actually perimenopause. Um, and then, of course, there could be, you know, genetic or even chromosomal issues um, or structural situations going on. So someone might have um, like a tumor on their pituitary that's affecting sex hormone production at the level of the ovaries. So there could be situations like that. But primarily with athletes, we're looking at a mismatch between fueling and energy out. It's. Uh, I, I want to go back a little bit because we certainly touched on this in the last show when we talked about Red S. But. I, I want to highlight again how emotionally stressful and tough it can be for athletes in heavy training blocks to actually support their training. And, and do you guys find that many athletes and, and, and women are really surprised or anxious if you tell them you need to consume this many calories to support your training? Is that one of the the? I know we talked about it a little bit last time. Is that one of the big hurdles for female athletes to, to sort of navigate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of it is just um, the voices saying to eat more or we need to eat more. It's kind of like the shrink it and pink it that you, you spoke about in the first episode. It's that idea that women are supposed to eat less, we're smaller, we don't need as much. And it's just kind of one of those social constructs that, you know, thankfully there's a lot more sports dietitians and professionals like Kyla um, and her business partners that are helping kind of break the noise that, no, we need to eat a lot more than we've kind of been trained or conditioned to think we need to eat. And that's not even getting it down into like different macronutrients, right? It's just the overall energy intake. It's like the hierarchy of the athlete's needs. You know, everybody gets so caught up on the smaller things like supplements and caffeine during workouts. But if you're not addressing that overall energy needs and so I don't usually typically tell my female athletes exactly numbers, at least not to start. Because if I tell them you need to be eating 3,000 calories a day, they will lose their mind. 
Um, <laughs> so it's just something that I think, um, like I said, a lot of us awesome dietitians and nutrition professionals like Kyla just need to keep making it normal for females to eat more. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes it's kind of just like a trust fall when someone feels comfortable with a provider or a coach who can give them the appropriate and proper guidance that you need to eat more calories, you need to just eat overall more, and then they start to do it and see their performance improve. And you know, if, if they've lost their menstrual cycle, I've had people who have lost their menstrual cycle, started eating more, working together, and they got their menstrual cycle back. And it, it's like one of the greatest gifts, I think, that you can give a female athlete, for sure. Well, we'll come on to that. I, I can't help but um, uh, go on a little tangent here, which is just really a source of interest. It's, it's less about um, this subject, but, but very interesting. Recently, I was doing a webinar with Andy Blow, who's the founder of Precision hydration and he was revealing some of the observational data around their elite athletes their elite amateur and their pro athletes for half ironman and ironman athlete distance races one of the more surprising things particularly for the listeners that they have seen amongst their elite athletes is this very small if any discrepancy on absolute calories an hour that their professional female athletes are consuming relative to male athletes. Again, this is during racing. This isn't anything to do with um, the, the real subject on hand, but I find that really interesting that the, Stevie, you talked about the smaller athlete, they must need less. They only need to have a gel an hour and they'll be fine even in racing. But in fact, high-performing professional athletes forget about size and weight, male or female, they are consuming a heavy amount. And on those athletes, it's 60, 70, 80, up to 120 grams of carbohydrate every hour, which is pretty staggering. Uh, a big unit like me, it might not be surprising, but, um, but the elite female pros, they are as well. A anyway, back to the subject at hand, because I grew up with, amongst a generation of coaches of which I was always confused and horrified, bemused might be the word, where it was wholly accepted. And in fact, almost a badge of performance if the female athlete was not experiencing regular cycles. It was assumed. And so I can't, with many high-performing athletes going through multiple cycles without a period, is this a red flag? An obvious question. Um, yes, this is a red flag. <laughs> so um, hopefully many of the listeners know that, yes, that's a red flag. Um, and reason being is anytime we're getting that ir irregular cycles or losing the cycle for a period of time where it, it does result in that low estrogen. And that's a big player in our bone health, of course, um, among many other physiological functioning things we need going on in the body. But, um, you know, you may see people increase their, you know, injuries or stress fractures or things like that too, when they are in a state where they're not having their cycle. And again, this might be something too, where people who are on an OCP, and I think we'll probably hit on this a little bit more, is they don't realize that they're maybe losing their cycle either naturally. Um, so yeah, red flag. <laughs> So Kylie, you, you, you talked before about the, the predominant uh, contributing factor towards this situation or scenario coming up. And of course, it's energy in and, and energy out so far as heavy training loads, et cetera. As a coach, I'll also sort of add in here the accumulation of too much stress globally. So 
having athletes follow a training program within the context of their life or, um, or on how much they can physically absorb, which is too elevated or under-recovered. So not enough sleep, not enough recovery, not enough easy training and everything that fits up the big bucket of too many stressors. And I think that's really important. So Stevie, as you are looking at an athlete's blood work, beyond the obviously tracking of cycles and uh, realizing that it's infrequent, different pattern, or of course, are there any markers when you're looking at an athlete's blood or beyond blood and their biomarkers, any trackers that, that we can start to identify this as a potential cause or a big problem? Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, first one that always comes to mind is cortisol levels, which I know we talked a, a little bit about in the first episode. Um, but Inside Tracker does test cortisol levels as part of the ultimate plan. Um, and we will, I can't say I've ever <laughs> seen an athlete with overtraining, overreaching who doesn't have elevated cortisol levels. Um, that's usually one of the big ones. And even, you know, if we're not quite at overreaching, overtraining, it's a good biomarker to check in on to make sure that we can go back and reevaluate, okay, are we managing stress? And, you know, you talked about the training load stress. Uh, I always like to remind people too, when we look at cortisol levels, that underfueling is also a form of stress on the body. So that will impact your cortisol levels. A few other things for that, that overtraining, overreaching, looking at uh, biomarkers that re are related to muscle breakdown, muscle damage, um, your creatine kinase, ALT, AST, and I'll also often see HSCRP, or a very specific marker of general inflammation, elevated a bit. Sometimes it's very high. Other times we just kind of see it on the slow upward trend with the under recovery. And these are all of the big red flags. Uh, and also some of our part of our testosterone group that we look at at Inside Tracker can help indicate if we're on that path of overtraining, under fueling. Um, particularly in females, we're looking at a marker called DHEAS and SHBG. Um, DHEAS is a biomarker, super important for women's health and physiology, and it does naturally decrease as we age. Um, it plays an important role in the muscle bone health, which I know Kyla mentioned when we're kind of not having our menstrual cycle, those are already impacted. You know, DHEAS has a role in that. Um, also will impact your fitness performance and longevity, of course. Um, you know, this is, DHEAS is, you know, created from cholesterol. Um, you know, DHEAS is a stored form and it is used to make different steroid sex hormones, including estradiol and testosterone, um, as well as other, some other kind of precursor molecules for that. Um, like I said, really important for the energy, muscle, bone health, etc. So it's also an important one to kind of, you know, when I look at somebody's inside tracker results, I try to piece all of those things together. You know, if I'm seeing a high cortisol, low DHEAS, um, SHBG, which is um, sex hormone precursor, um, when I see something like that high, it'll be high in underfueling SHBG. So seeing how these biomarkers fall and then having the individual do what I call like a gut check or a feelings check, like, are you fueling your workouts? Are you getting enough sleep? 
are you really being able to maintain this training load or is it too much because you have deadlines at work or a lot of life or family stressors? Doing that feelings check and checking in on these numbers before you wind up with some of those injuries and kind of negative outcomes that Kyla mentioned earlier. Yeah, if um, if I distill it to super basic and uh, it, you, you sort of, you're getting these results of which it's showing under a broad context, elevated stress, elevated inflammation. It, it's really important. I guess, what should the athlete do there? Because it's a, it's a point of reflection, yeah? The important part is to actually pause and come up a level and probably look at everything in a broad context, which is, okay, let's actually look at my fueling and my nutrition. Let's look at my training and does that integrate into life? Let's look at my habits around sleep and rejuvenation. And I guess that's, that's which we'll come on to a little bit later, that, that's the real value of leaning on an expert to help with that perspective, whether it's a coach, whether it's a Kyla um, or a, a nutritionist RD, et cetera. Is that sort of the, the key point here? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's one of the things where, you know, I talk to an individual and they're like, oh, well, yeah, I just, you know, unfortunately lost my job, whatever. Like we can usually identify like are some of these more sleep related? Oh, I have two toddlers. Right. So we can, you know, just kind of taking, like you said, that 30,000 foot view, doing that gut check. Like, are we are we skipping the fuel? Could I be better at this aspect of my training is my training load something i could do six months ago no problem but my life has changed now and i need to kind of adapt and overcome is what i like to say just readjust my expectations as an athlete and back off a little bit because i have these extra stressors in my life so doing that zoom out and the nice thing about inside tracker is the optimized zones or ranges that you get are based on you as the individual, based on, you know, your nutrition habits, your lifestyle, um, your exercise habits, but they're also designed to take you from good to great. So it's kind of like being on the offense is how I like to look at inside tracker blood work versus what you might get from your doctor is that these optimized zones are much tighter than clinical ranges. So we can identify and address something before it becomes a clinical problem, before it becomes an injury, illness, et cetera. As a coach, one of the things, and you're highlighting here, we're talking about female athletes today, but I think you just absolutely put a peg on the biggest challenge for time-starved athletes where they, they, they treat training like a battering ram. And in fact, if we really pause and think about what training is, you're applying a stressor so that the body can have a stress response. In other words, um, have the initial adapt and force adaptations. And so positive training is applying a stressor and achieving a positive adaptation. That has to come within the context of the framework of your life. And it's only going to happen if you've got the energy availability to facilitate those. And so Kyla, that is my segue into low energy ability because we, when you have, coming back to how you really started this conversation, you talked about the energy out with training, particularly like heavy training loads, et cetera, et cetera, in the context of the stress of the situation for the athlete. And then the very common 
component of an athlete not supplying deliberately or not deliberately enough energy. So what are the consequences? Because this is very real. And I, and I want to divide this into two things because I think it's important for listeners. Number one, performance. But number two, health. That's much more important because performance is built on top of it. So let's do the easy side first. What happens? What are some of the symptoms of, of LEA or low energy availability? Yeah. So um, low energy availability, as we've mentioned, is we're not meeting the calories in for what we're expending. I will kind of add to that too, that with many of the athletes, and actually I've, I've read this through through some of the literature, is that the primary thing in addition to calories being under is actually carbohydrates tend to be under is, is also the primary macronutrient. So with that, if you think about an athlete, an endurance athlete, where carbohydrates are one of the primary fuel sources for what you're trying to do. If we don't have enough of that and enough calories coming on board, we're going to definitely see a decrease in our performance, typically our ability to probably adapt to our training response. We're probably going to see more muscle tissue breakdown, right? Because we don't have enough calories coming in. So our strength might decline. Um, we might hit the wall a little bit faster because again, we don't have those carbs on board. So glycogen stores are inadequate. Um, this increases our risk, as I mentioned, for injury you might notice more things like uh, depression or lack of motivation to train. Um, you might feel a little bit more irritable. So those kind of things, of course, will, will play a role from a performance perspective. And then, you know, from that health side, if you think about a lack of calories coming in, you're also missing the mark on some of your micronutrients, right? Your vitamins and minerals. If you're not hitting your total calories, how are you going to hit your total vitamins and minerals? And if we're not hitting all of those things, it's going to play a role on several physiological functionings of the body, right? Whether that's bone, menstrual cycle health, um, your your growth, if you're you know younger, um, your immune system, your gastrointestinal system and digestive enzymes, um, cardiovascularly, it can play a role as well. And as we mentioned, the psychological component of it. Um, and then with your labs, you know, I'm sure Stevie will kind of, will hit on that a little bit as well. But, you know, if we're under consuming things like your iron might be low, right? Um, and that's also a big player and ties back into that performance piece and delivery of oxygen to tissues. So, yeah. Hmm. What actions... <laughs> What, what, what are the actions uh, facing this challenge? It's uh, what are the actions that athletes should, how does, how should athletes approach this? Yeah. It's all too common. Yeah. I mean, if there is low energy availability, as Stevie mentioned, is, is trying to get them to eat more calories. If it's, especially if it's done kind of unintentionally, um, kind of, you know, helping them get more food in, finding ways to do that. I think I was talking to an athlete the other day and we were talking about her big weekend training days and the nutrition I program for her. And she's like, I literally don't have enough time to eat all this stuff. And, and so many times the conversation becomes like, yes, like you're training for this end goal. And that is taking obviously a big priority, but eating kind of needs to become your second job <laughs> to get those calories in. And, um, and maybe it's finding ways where we can condense the calories. So I think many times I even see this in my athletes too, is there's, there's that carb fear, right? And, and we see that in the literature too, is the most underconsumed macronutrient is carbohydrates. So, um, trying to figure out ways to get more calories in them, letting them know that it's okay to consume a little bit more processed carbohydrates on these bigger training days to hit their caloric goals. I mean, if you are out training for six hours on the bike on a Saturday, um, and you come home at, you know, one or two in the afternoon, you 
want to get to bed early because you're tired, you know, that maybe gives you time to get an afternoon snack and dinner. Potentially, how are you going to hit all those calories? Um, you're you're probably not going to want to rely on a giant salad that day. <laughs> um, maybe a big grain bowl, you know, something with, you know, different forms of, of um, higher carbohydrates. I mean, even before that big training day, get some bagels in you. Like that is okay. Put some nut butter on those, throw a banana on top with some honey. You know, I think we have that carb fear and I think it's kind of educating them on ways to get more calories in and, and, it's okay to get them from a little bit more processed carbohydrates on those bigger training days. I, I guess a lot of it is the um, is the absolute requirement to separate uh, to look at themselves as an athlete. If someone's mm -hmm. consistently exercising, is consistently training, it is a a different need and requirement. Because, uh, and I guess a, a question I was going to ask later, but how do you manage, or how do how do athletes manage? the influx of clean eating and uh, and voodoo uh, pseudoscience and quacks that sort of come in with these quirky diets. H how do you help an athlete navigate sort of some of the, the pull away from carbs are bad for you? They're going straight to your hips, love, and all of that. <laughs> um, you know, definitely educating them on the importance and what, you know, literally all of the literature says on endurance athletes, carbohydrates really are across the board, you know, still are seem to be the way to go. Um, you know, as opposed to like a keto approach, for example, um, the kind of opposite side of the spectrum. So educating them on what we're seeing in the literature, but also just from a, a general health perspective, how many, you know, how, how much carbohydrates you need just for general health. And then if you're trying to ask yourself to, again, go on a six hour bike ride, how do you expect yourself to do that? If you're potentially under consuming calories, maybe by like 600 grams less a day than where you should be at, you know? So that's a, that's, what is that? The, you know, that's a ton of calories, right? So we have, um, we have room to definitely improve that. And the education, I think piece is really helpful with, anybody. I mean, if you understand the why that something is necessary as opposed to be just saying, hey, eat 600 grams more carbs per day. Someone's going to be like, screw you. <laughs> um, you know, there I'm going to feel bloated or, you know, it's it's um, giving them that background and, you know, ex helping them understand the reasoning and the science and, and starting slow with it too. You know, if you're, you know, really low on your carbohydrates now, maybe you just bump it up by, you know, one banana, you know, prior to training than you're used to. And, some people notice a difference right there from that by including a little bit more carbohydrates, then that kind of starts to gain, they gain that trust, right? And they can expand a little bit from there. But I do think people get stuck into like, right now people are, you know, ramping up training, but they're coming from maybe eating the same exact breakfast they were doing in their off season, just sticking with that all the way through to these, you know, key sessions. And it maybe it's some veggie based omelet or something like that. That's very low in carbohydrates. Maybe that's great for the off season, but you should really throw some additional carbohydrates in there, put that in between some pieces of toast or something, you know, to, to bump that up and, and change that nutrition as the season changes as well. Anything to add, Stevie, to that? Yeah, no, Kyla, Kyla hit on the point I was going to say is just starting small, right, and working up. And I think that's the big thing. And I'm sure Kyla sees it with the athlete she works is just starting small, getting those wins, making the person feel comfortable, including whether it's carbohydrates or just getting, you know, more calorie dense foods in, you know, avocados, those nut butters, etc. And just working on um, helping them trust 
you know, their bodies a little bit more. And, you know, it's always, I'm sure you hear this a lot too, on the rest days, people are like starve themselves because they're actually feeling hunger cues that might be blunted on their harder workout days. And I will tell you, I ate a bagel yesterday and I took an unplanned rest day and it was glorious and I felt so much better, right? It's just those little things that sometimes it's just helping the athlete to trust themselves, trust what their body is saying, but also giving them like, yes, you might not feel hunger before you go ride six hours, but you need to eat. Just helping guide and delineate between what I call business feedings and listening to our hunger cues, just being flexible um, and a little bit less rigid with some of those rules, particularly around carbohydrates, like Kyla mentioned. Can I ask about validation a little bit? And what I mean by that is um, uh, I, I tend to see a lot of athletes that sort of their, their validation cue over this work is getting on the scale. And um, is, is there a, you mentioned it was hugely psychological. And so is there a path of the mini victories of adding a little bit of carbohydrate of the validation of that in how they feel? how their consistency is, how do you frame sort of success for someone that is under fueling? Uh, <laughs> well, it, of course, it depends on the athlete. I'm laughing because some of my nutrition coaching clients say I'm too positive. Um, and I'm sure Kyla does this too. And they'll beat themselves up because they had half a bagel and maybe the goal was a full bagel and peanut butter before, you know, whatever workout it was or whenever they're eating it. But they went from eating, doing fasted runs to half a bagel. It's just encouraging them, finding that as a win where they're beating themselves up. And I'm like, this is great. We hit 40 grams of carb per hour during this workout. Like, yes, our goal is much higher, but showing them the progress and then telling them like, you know, of course we say, yes, you should uh, feel like you recover better after your long runs when you're fueling. And usually it takes a little bit of time for that aha moment, but I'll get that message on a Sunday and they're like, wow, I do feel so much better. It's just guiding them at like, it's not normal that every workout hurt, right? Like every workout shouldn't be awful. Some people I think just don't know if they don't have a great coach like you, Matt, or someone in their corner, that they think every everything should be awful and they should always hurt and they should have low energy or be winded going up the stairs, that also telling them like, hey, these are signs that you might be under fueling or falling short on X, Y, or Z nutrient. Let's take a closer look, see what we can adjust. And then when they start to feel, like Kyla said with the banana example, like, that could be night and day for an individual, depending on where they're coming from. So, you know, as a coach and provider, it's always, you know, bringing them back to, yes, but remember where you are and look how far you've come. Let's keep working towards this next goal and building up. And of course, I'm sure Kyla does this too, like leading by example. I think that's a really big, big, big thing as providers and kind of voices in this space is showing on like, yes, I'm telling you to do this, but I also practice what I preach. Um, people were absolutely floored that I do 75 grams of carbohydrate per hour in exercise <laughs> as a tiny human. But I was like, yeah, you just, you know, just training and practicing and getting yourself there, finding what works for you. And, um, you know, it's nice to go out there and not feel like garbage. <laughs> that, that exactly. It is very nice. Let, let's have a, the listeners have a little moment and enjoy. I am wonderful, aren't I?
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, by the way, for, for for you two guys that are American, that was called British irony and sarcasm. <laughs> but anyway, I want to move on, and uh, and it's very important because this this is a subject that I th- I think is so important. There's a lot of confusion around this uh, from coaches as well as athletes. Birth control. Mm. We can't leave today without talking about birth control and the impact on female athlete performance. So who would like to take this? What are the risks and the performance impacts of birth control? Some of the considerations, please. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, with birth control, there's a couple different, I mean, there's several different types of birth control, right? There's an oral contraceptive. So it's the pill you take every single day. Um, there's IUDs, there's the little patch you put in your arm. And then I think there's shots and there's all kinds of, there's patches. Um, but what I'll hone in on today is like the OCP, the oral contraceptive and the IUD. Um, typically when you're getting or taking an OCP daily, right, that is putting hormones, exogenous hormones throughout the whole body systemically, right? Where versus an IUD is going to be more localized to the uterus. Um, so the hormones aren't actually going throughout the whole body and it actually will still allow your ovaries to naturally cycle um, many times. Um, with an OCP, possibly even an IUD, is some women will lose their cycle, or with an OCP, they might have regular what feels like regular cycles. But I think what's important, kind of tying this into our ligamentary and, and amenorrhea conversation, is that the bleed that you have when you're on birth control is not a true reflection of a true bleed. It is a withdrawal bleed from the hormones that you are taking. So uh, many times women will maybe have what seems like a regular cycle when they're on birth control, but then they stop birth control and realize, oh my goodness, I am not having my period anymore. And it's likely because they were in this functional hypothalamic amenorrheic state um, all along and that the uh, oral contraceptive was giving them this kind of like false withdrawal bleed each month. Um, so I think that's important that we just mention that um, in, in combination of the initial conversation. But we it, it does appear with these um, OCPs more so than IUDs is that there is a performance impact for many people. So if you think about you're putting these exogenous hormones into your system and it's it's almost replicating a little bit of what we'd call that um, high hormone phase when you're naturally cycling or the luteal phase is what it's also called. So when your estrogen and progesterone are elevated, um, so you potentially are noticing maybe PMS symptoms like 30 days of the month um, instead of, you know, five to seven days before your natural cycle for some people. So when that's the case, that can impact our performance for many reasons um, because of these elevations in estrogen and progesterone having impacts on our, or I should say exogenous estrogen and progesterone. So the hormones you're getting from a birth control are not the same form of hormones that you are naturally cycling with. Um, so these can have an impact too on your ability to, you know, build muscle and have that anabolic stimulus. It might have an, imp- and if that's the case, right, we might have a harder time recovering from training sessions. Uh, we might have a decreased drive to hydrate and or thirst drive, right? So we want to be a little bit more on top of that. You know, being dehydrated absolutely can impact our performance. Um, some people notice more regular sleep disturbances, things like that on an OCP, or even slight weight gain, water retention. Um, so 
yeah, the OCPs can impact performance, but of course there are certain reasons why some people maybe need, you know, need to be on an OCP or an IUD. So of course, um, you know, always speak with your OBGYN first. Um, yeah, those are some of the things I would kind of watch out for from a performance perspective. What, what about, uh, something that I've heard before about leveraging birth control to manage menstrual cycles? It seems like a bad idea. Yeah. Particularly for, for athletes that obviously struggle as as they sort of compete or race across their their, their cycle. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, I would also add to that that what I have seen and heard most recently in the literature when it comes to like if you are not having a cycle, many much of the concern right is maybe we're not getting enough estrogen that's going to affect our bone health. So let's put you on an OCP. And when we look at the uh, literature on OCP use and bone remodeling, bone health, bone density, um, it's kind of a, a wash. Like it's not clear whether the OCP actually supports bone health, um, but an estrogen-based patch seems to help bone, bone health. So the OCPs, it's unclear. There's some literature that says it doesn't. There's some literature that says it's, um, again, kind of you know, um, even right. That there was not necessarily a benefit, but there wasn't a decrease in bone density. So again, kind of a wash with the OCP, but the patch appears to be the way to go and depends on why the athlete is doing that, you know, but if it's for bone health reasons, likely the, the patch may be the way to go. All right. So let's, let's march on. And I, and I think that a big broad subject as well that I, I while I had you guys, I, I couldn't bypass perimenopause and menopause, I would say. Uh, I, I want to finish on this topic. It's a really important topic. And one of the things that I have noticed, maybe in my mature age now, uh, with a wife who is uh, is navigating this at the moment, why do you think there's such a negative connotation? A lot of people almost feel like that they're, they're almost a sense of, I don't want to say shame, but whatever is a real sort of negative connotation around the word perimenopause, which is ultimately an unavoidable part of life. It's no different than going through puberty, puberty et cetera. What, what do you think that is? Or, or, or how would you encourage folk to, to look at that part and chapter of life? Um, I have personally heard clients say that, they don't feel as feminine, um, you know, once they've lost their menstrual cycle or they feel like it's like a really true sign of them aging, um, which kind of can get people down a little bit. Um, but you mentioned the term puberty. I have heard some people call perimenopause and menopause like the, the second puberty, which I, I kind of like that. <laughs> um, and so I do think those are kind of some of the <clears throat> reasons maybe people aren't super keen on, on talking about it, um, because they, they feel like it's a, a negative kind of like I'm getting older, I'm not, you know, as feminine and young anymore kind of thing. Um, but with that being said, many times also if you're going through perimenopause and you have symptoms, maybe you're not feeling super great. Um, with that being said though, you know, once you get through perimenopause, some women report feeling much better, obviously, once they've gotten rid of the symptoms. So, um, there's, there is light at the end of the tunnel is what I, what I always tell my, my female athletes as well. And, and what are the 
key considerations, I guess. It's a big subject. It, it absolutely is worthy of its own show, by the way, which we will have. But, um, but as we can cover off in the rest of the time that we do have together today, what are some of the key considerations for female athletes around perimenopause? Yeah, so perimenopause can last for two to even up to 12 years in some women. And so I think it's important to to define perimenopause versus menopause. Many people say, I'm going through menopause. Well, you're actually going through perimenopause. And then once you've ceased your menstrual cycle for a year, then that is defined as being in menopause. So during that perimenopause phase, that two to 12 years, that's typically when the symptoms are most prominent. And that's when it's a problem for many female athletes, right? Because the estrogen levels are kind of riding this roller coaster and progesterone, your kind of calming hormone is declining. And now these ratios between estrogen and progesterone are kind of all over the place. What we do know for sure from a, like a nutrition perspective and considerations for the female athlete is that protein requirement is likely going to increase as we get older, again, because we don't have that anabolic effect from estrogen because it's just not nearly as high to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So we do want to make sure not only are we hitting our end of day protein targets, but we're really sandwiching the protein well before and after our training sessions to support or minimize uh, protein or muscle oxidation or breakdown during our sessions, but support that muscle protein synthesis or reparation post-training as well. And then many times too, we will see for our perimenopausal um, athletes is that maybe blood sugar responses become a little bit more erratic as well. And protein, again, is one of those things that if we add it to each of our meals, it's going to help kind of balance essentially that blood sugar response from our meal. So I would say protein is is many one of the things I really see lacking in my perimenopausal and menopausal athletes for sure. So, so what what else can female athletes do to optimize their performance as they navigate this time? And uh, the first thing that you mentioned is protein. Let's expand. I've got a couple of thoughts on this, by the way. So uh, believe it or not, but uh, but I'd love to hear from you guys. So how can protein um, help with performance, you're saying, in the perimenopause? Oh, no, no, no. What else beyond, obviously, an increase in a, in a requirement of protein? Mm -hmm. What are the other considerations for female athletes to optimize their performance as they navigate? Yeah. So there can be that decreased drive to drink, for sure. So making sure you're staying on top of your hydration, whether that's setting a timer on your Garmin, something like that, to just remind you to, to sip and stay hydrated. Um, there can also be quite a bit of maybe changes in mood, irritability, things like that. Um, and many times because of these fluctuations in the estrogen, we can actually increase our intake of cruciferous veggies is one of the things that's um, rich in DIM, D-I-M or diendol. I'm going to mess it up. Do you know this one, Stevie? Diendol methyl... <laughs> Sorry, put you, put you on the hot seat. <laughs> dim, I'm going to call it dim for now. But um, dim and sulforaphane are rich in cruciferous veggies. So your Brussels sprouts, um, cabbage, cauliflower, things like that. And that's a really helpful tool actually in helping with estrogen metabolism and um, excretion from the body. And then increasing your – or getting enough fiber, but um, can be one of the things too to help bind with that excess circulating estrogen and we evacuate it as a bowel movement. So those estrogen fluctuations are really the primary thing that's leading to these symptoms that many people notice, like the hot flashes is when estrogen is up and then it quickly drops. Um, we have that uh, vaso, um, 
vasovagal response, right? And so we can manage these big high estrogen peaks with helping basically with estrogen metabolism. Uh, I'm going to add as a co-chair that I think there are two things I just want to highlight. And let me preface number one, every endurance athlete should integrate strength and conditioning into their Mm -hmm. program. Uh, Every athlete as they mature, male or female, should integrate strength and conditioning into their program. Uh, When it comes to perimenopause, the earlier start that you get on a consistent build of strength and conditioning into your program, the better it is. People often think, oh, I'm 45, I should start thinking about, I should consider starting strength and conditioning. Well, guess what? If you start in your 20s, you're setting it up for there. So I would highlight strength. A second thing that I would highlight for particularly seasoned athletes, athletes that have been consistently exercising, consistently training, and are now starting to emerge into this phase of life is a shift of mindset. And this is particularly prevalent for pretty high-performing amateurs or or ex-pros, where what used to work for you as your approach might have been wonderful, but it might not be the thing that works for you anymore. And so being really open to shifting your mindset of what appropriate training is and and eating, I should say, because that's the focus of the show, to help you navigate is really, really important. Stevie, any any thoughts on this? Yeah, no, I mean, Kyla really covered it all. I mean, the biggest thing, and I think it's just, um, you know, she already mentioned prioritizing the protein, right? You might need, and you mentioned with training, um, the training volume, the training load, you know, the potential to need to increase a little bit more recovery time. And of course, going with the, with the strength training. Um, another thing that I also do love to add <laughs> is some tart cherry juice in there or tart cherries as well. I think that's good for any athlete at any age, um, but especially in, in these perimenopausal athletes as well. Interesting. So guys, I, I, I wish we had two more hours to carry on talking about this stuff, but, um, but I want to finish up just with a couple of components. Do you guys have any any thoughts or advice to listeners that maybe are seeking out uh, a prospective coach that they might work with to help them determine their needs um, or, or a, a dietitian, a registered dietitian or nutritionist? Is there any sp- particular approach that listeners should take to ensure that their coach, their practitioner really understand the needs of a female athlete? Uh, number one would do your research um learn as much as you can about the person on the internet um you know look at their background look what their degrees are in you know kyla is excellent she doesn't have her rd right if i have that correct but she is an excellent very well qualified provider and i would be happy to refer her you know refer people to her um so looking at their education avoiding the online certifications you know i know even like cornell has an online certification where people would see oh cornell this person is definitely qualified but it might not be the best fit for you it also depends on the athlete's needs like if you're looking for just like very general coaching and support and encouragement um there definitely are some nutritionists 
with um, a little bit less education and training than Kyla or myself, and that might be a good fit for you. Uh, but if you're going through perimenopause, menopause, etc., then looking for someone who has a little bit better understanding of the science behind it and more experience working with female athletes and ask a lot of questions before you start working with them. That's a big one. Kyla, I'm sure you have more to add. Yeah, I would, I, I mean, I would, I would echo everything you just said. Um, and then like people who are members of SCAN or ISSN, you know, there's, they have requirements annually to get so many hours of continuing education, which I think is so incredibly important because especially right now, the research on women is it's, we're getting more information and it's changed so much than even from just five years ago or two years ago. So to have someone who is continuing to stay up to date, whether that's a requirement or not, but making sure that they are staying up to date in what the new research is coming out with or attending conferences, things like that is, I think, important. Um, so yeah, keep you know, ask them questions. Many, I think practitioners or coaches have the option to do like a comp call with them. Um, so you can feel it out and ask some questions and see, see if they're a good fit. Uh, I will add as, uh, as, uh, for coaches that are listening, you're, you are not burdened with needing to be the expert on this. And I think this is really important across any field. In fact, and many coaches take on the fact that they need to have the answers to every question, whether it's tissue health or equipment knowledge or this broad spectrum of uh, female athletes. I think that powerful coaching has been, open, has been open and surrounding yourself with really smart experts. And that's why we work with Inside Tracker. That's why we work with Kyla. That's why we work with the, fuel, with the guys from Fuel In, because I, I, I know enough to be dangerous, but I empower myself and ultimately my athletes, which is what we all want, which is athlete evolution, athlete health, athlete improvement, by surrounding myself with really, really smart people like Stevie and Kyla. And I think that's really important. I think it's a coach's role and responsibility to continually educate and evolve as much as they can, but, um, but also realize that they don't need to go deep, deep, deep into every subject. And so if you're looking for a coach, uh, or a program, I would really encourage you to to seek out someone that's really open to surrounding themselves with experts as well, because they don't know everything. Team, thank you so much. That was a fantastic couple of sessions, so informative. I know that we would do this again, because it was empowering and so much fun. I really, really appreciate it. Stevie, from Inside Tracker, Kyla, Nutritional Revolution. For listeners at home, we will, of course, give you guys all of the information on, um, on both of our guests. But I really want to thank you both for joining us and bringing your expertise and knowledge. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Take care, guys. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. 
Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!